Welcome back to Composer Quest. I'm your host, Charlie McCarran, a composer in Minneapolis. And I started this show because I wanted to share insights from other composers and songwriters about how they make music. You can hear all the episodes at ComposerQuest.com. I have some very exciting news. We're going to have the first ever Composer Quest concert. At this concert, we're going to feature a bunch of artists who've been on the show, including Paul Spring. Who dropped the ball on St. Cloud traffic? And Peter Fry. And the Twin Cities Trio, who will be playing the submissions for the first ever Composer Quest quest. So we had seven total submissions for this quest to arrange pop songs for bassoon, clarinet, and oboe. We had one late submission to the quest, but it is so cool. The Twin Cities Trio is going to play it anyways. Kyle Gray Young arranged the Super Mario Brothers theme. So mark your calendars. The concert will be on Saturday, May 11th at 8 p.m. here in Minneapolis at the Yoga Soul Studio. And I'll have more details about the event at facebook.com slash composerquest. And also, if you're not in Minneapolis but you want to tune in, I will have a live webcast going at composerquest.com. So again, that'll be at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time on May 11th. Now, on to the main event. My talk with the experimental audio-visual duo known as Prism House. Brian Wenner and Matt O'Hare are out in Brooklyn making some cool music. At this point, Brian makes most of the music for Prism House, and he has a unique style that involves chopping up field recordings he does into little bits and making percussion pieces out of them. Brian talks about why it's important to limit yourself as a composer, especially when you're doing electronic music and you have tons and tons of synths at the touch of a button. Acting with some restraint where it's like, okay, I'm going to use this one synthesizer and this microphone and see what I can make out of it. I think you get almost more interesting results than just flipping through pre-made sounds that other people have done. Matt O'Hare does the visuals during their live performances, but he's also going to start contributing more music to Prism House. I found out halfway through the interview that he can do throat singing. And he explains how the Simpsons helped him learn this singing style. So I hope you enjoy my talk with Prism House. Brian and Matt, thanks for being here on Composer Quest. Sure, yeah, no problem. Thanks for having us. Yeah. So how did you guys get started doing Prism House? Right off the bat, Prism House was meant to be an audiovisual thing. When Brian came along, I moved over to just moving visuals pretty much exclusively. And Brian just started writing all this new music. Yeah, I had this EP written, and it just was good timing that Matt was interested in doing visuals, and I had all this new music written. How do you make the visuals interact with the music? I, I mean, I do it all by hand, for the most part, as opposed to like more advanced ways of doing it with like audio analysis and stuff like that. You know, I've played around with that in the past, too, where it's like you have the computer listen to say what Brian is doing, and then it generates like some sort of audio-visual pattern. But I find it much more interesting if I have manual control over it because I can switch between things a lot faster. In fact, sometimes I think I can actually be faster than the computer because I can anticipate changes, whereas the computer can't so much. But the way I make the visuals is basically um, I use a lot of found material. 
I love animated GIFs, but, you know, I'll grab stuff from movies I like, especially like Kubrick films. You know, I'm a huge fan of his cinema, cinemagraphic eye. So yeah, it's like a huge amalgamation of things. I have like some processing that I do before uh, we play live to kind of make it more my own aesthetic, you know, sort of granular and cut up and make it look like it was on old VHS tape. And then I play it back live using this program that I made in Max MSP. And that's where I really start to like cut it up, process it and tie it closer to what Brian is doing, both like in terms of the beat, like I'll change stuff on the on the rhythm, but then I'll also try and manipulate it so that it fits the emotional timbre of uh, the moment. So when you guys are performing live, what does that look like for people who haven't seen you? Well, basically, I have a MIDI controller that I'm triggering sounds with. I lay out all the tracks in a way that I can rearrange things to kind of like remix the tracks on the fly. So it's kind of a different experience every time. So that's what I'm doing on my end, but Matt will explain some of what, what he's doing as well. It's not all that different. I also use a MIDI controller. Like Brian, I have things that are sort of preset. Basically, I have like one movie that I've rendered out, but I can jump between, like I know exactly where all the points are in that movie to, to jump to different material. And it's all, everything he's doing is projected through a projector onto a screen. Yeah. In general, we, we pretty much stand facing the audience as far apart as we can possibly get so there's enough room for the visuals to go through. I have these LED strobe lights that I want to try to program, but gigging in New York is a complicated endeavor unless you have a car. So we pretty much are very self-sufficient in that we can carry everything we use with just like four hands between us. Yeah. Um, One cool thing about living where we do is that uh, I'd say for a big portion of our gigs, we walk to them. And uh, being electronic musicians, it's pretty handy to be able to uh, not have to carry that much. Yeah. Uh, But there's one more important thing I would add about our live shows is that uh, Brian's dance moves are uh, pretty rad (laughs) and pretty unhinged. Yeah, you know? nice. I get into it. I, yeah. I try to have fun. There's nothing worse than watching an electronic show where the performer looks like they're having a less than really fun time, which I don't know. I feel like I've been to so many shows where people seem like they take themselves so seriously and they don't even want to like move or they don't want to have visuals or anything. And it's really kind of bland. But I've noticed that at least like in Brooklyn, it seems like guys are having a lot more fun performing or, or girls as well. There's a lot of like really talented women in this scene as well. It's just like really thriving right now. It feels like. Yeah. Cool. I've done a little bit of live electronic performing and I feel like I probably am in the camp. That's like just sitting at my laptop. Cause I don't really, I'm not much of a dancer on stage or anything. We can't but, all be talented yeah. like Brian. <laughs> nah, <it's, laughs> nah. I mean, there's, there's nothing wrong with that <laughs> In listening to your music, Brian, it seems like the aesthetic is a lot of like, these chopped up pieces and making them into something as a whole. How do you go about taking little pieces of things and making them into a full song? Um, Well, a lot of times I start with a field recorder and I'll use like a drumstick and I'll bang on different stuff around my apartment. 
I basically just record a whole bunch of sounds and then load them into, I use Ableton Live as my main software to compose and arrange stuff. And I'll find like the best moments, like the most interesting sounds and kind of cut those out of it and then kind of create sample banks of the different sounds and then start making beats or loops out of that. And I also, I use a lot of found internet material, like documentary films, and try to find interesting material that way. When you're picking little clips of things from documentaries, how do you decide what to use? Is it based on the words or the just the sound of it? A little bit of both. I mean, I think I like to find sentences that are fairly ambiguous as to what they mean. Because I don't want the music to be where it sounds like I'm trying to tell a lyrical story so much as just using the voice as another instrument. Because the human voice has a very interesting timbre and emotional quality to it, where even if you don't fully understand what the person's talking about, it still resonates with you, as opposed to you know an electronic or acoustic instrument other than the voice. Yeah, like I noticed that when I was listening to your tracks. The hooks for me tended to be where I heard a voice either singing a line or saying a line and you use them kind of sparingly throughout the track but it gives you something to latch on to definitely I really like Motown vocal samples the first track on our album Need You Part 1 the main hook is a Motown sample Electronic music in general can sound really cold or dead if you don't have some sort of outside sound or something going on from the actual world that we're living in. I think that it makes it more emotionally interesting to people to try to include little conversations of stuff or or even just like the sound of like walking around. Like I got a lot of sounds from Central Park that I use a lot just as ambience it just adds like an outside sort of airy texture to everything cool i think i heard a squeaking door in there somewhere yeah that's like my favorite sound i think me too i've been like just my girlfriend's apartment has a very squeaky door and i was like trying to make music with it old squeaky doors are just pretty awesome yeah it's so like it's and i think it's fun when you can listen to something and either know exactly what the sound is or think you know what it is because it makes you want to listen again. Acoustic sounds are just interesting. I mean, I started off making really like synthetic sounding music and it didn't have as much emotional quality to it. I like to be able to listen to the stuff that I've been making now and be like, oh yeah, like I recorded that sound when I was at this studio space or I was like at this person's apartment. It's really very like personal for me, like using sounds that, you know, I recorded when I was in like California or Ohio or Matt got a lot of sounds and he was in Vermont and it's kind of like paints a, a visual picture to the music and like doors squeaking and different sounds like that definitely help.
in the track Someone Save Me, the second track on the EP, I let my friend Don borrow our field recorder to record this cello concert. And he took the field recorder to the bar afterwards when the uh, concert was done and just recorded a bunch of like drunk people. But there was some like really awesome stuff in there that was really funny. So I ended up using a lot of that. Brian, how much would you say of your tracks is actually sampled and how much is field recordings and how much is purely like synthesized stuff? Um, I think I'd say 40% field recording, 50% sampled audio from the internet and then like 10% synthesizer sounds. But actually, I mean, a lot of the like synthesizer tones are field recordings, but they were just melodic field sounds like a sound of like a fan because a lot of like heating units and fans will actually like resonate in a certain key what do you like using for your percussion sounds so i've i've tried doing some field recordings out of random things like matches lighting and then i got it when you actually listen back it's like i don't know if this is gonna work in this track but that's a really good question um i use like a drumstick a lot to like hit things so you get a really strong attack so i like to bang on pipes in like stairwells because you get a really cool reverb sound with it as well as the initial hit trash cans are cool pop cans things that like have some resonance to them i really like to use but i facilitate a lot of samples that i'll make from field recordings with sample library material, like your more kind of standard drum machine sounds. I mean, I made like a kick drum out of like stomping on the floor and then low pass filtering it, but then I'll layer that with an actual kick drum. You get kind of the, the most interesting part of the field recorded sound, but you also get the thump and the punch of a kind of more recorded drum machine sound. And for everyone listening, I put all this stuff online for free. It's called Prism House Samples Volume 1 and Volume 2. A lot of the sounds that are in those two sample packs are like the best percussion sounds that I would get out of field recorded sounds. Basically, a lot of the sounds that I've used on this past EP, they're license-free. People can, can use them however they want. That's cool that you make that available for people. Yeah, absolutely. I like it when I can see a little bit of the process of how people make music or like what their sound selection is. So I thought it'd be something fun to do. Mm -hmm. Well, how much do you think tonally when you're making this stuff? I mean, do you think of tones that fit into a key or because I notice like a lot of the samples, there's not like a certain key you're in in most of these songs, it seems like. Yeah, you know, things can sound really cool when they're not necessarily in the same key entirely with each other, which is what makes sampling fun. But I try to keep things tonal enough where it's enjoyable for people to listen to it. The program we were in, they were really pushing atonal type composition, which I love. I mean, I think that's great, but I wanted really with this project to push myself to use sounds that may not have a distinctive key. Like this one particular like organ sound I use 
is kind of it's like flat a little bit it's not really in key but it's flat just enough that it adds some sort of tension to other things going on but it doesn't sound like totally unmelodic How do you think of rhythms? Because your pieces are all really rhythmically driven. How do you compose those rhythms? Um, I usually, I'll start with a really basic rhythm and then just slowly start layering things over top of it. I also, I use an arpeggiator a lot, like with drum machine sounds. So it's like a 16th step arpeggiator that'll just be triggering the same note over and over and I'll just like integrate things in very sparsely. So it sounds like I'm doing a lot in terms of programming, but I actually program beats like extremely quickly. Like I can have most of the beat structures for a song done within like 25 minutes to like an hour usually. It's just arranging it around that that's the hard part. Usually I will start with one core rhythm idea, usually based off of whatever is going on melodically. I tend to start with like a, a melodic sample of some sort as opposed to like a, a rhythm and then just make tons of variations. But a lot of it's just stemming from like one basic looping idea. This is the most fun project I've ever worked on musically. I've gotten burnt out on previous projects because the process of making the music just became really dull. This is like really fun. And I think another thing we definitely want to do is start collaborating more between Matt and I on the music because Matt is actually like a phenomenal musician and has far more gear and stuff that I don't have, like pedals and different things and synthesizers and just like awesome stuff that we haven't even like tapped into yet. Matt, is your music kind of along the lines of what Brian does with his? I'd say that there's a lot of overlap, but you know, I think it's uh, fairly complimentary in the sense that I really focus around the voice. Like I put out a free album of just vocal improvised music that uses like a lot of looping and like weird effects. And, vo and again, like vocals as a texture the way that Brian was kind of talking about earlier. Not necessarily lyrics. Or... Yeah, I, don't, I don't really think we're like that kind of band, you know? Yeah, I've never really been inspired by... I mean, I love artists with great lyrics, but I've never been much of like a lyric writing guy. But one thing also that Matt does that people should know is you are awesome at throat singing. Yeah. And a lot of his... Oh, a lot of the music he makes on his own is like really intense throat singing through crazy pedals and stuff. His stuff feels really tribal yeah. and like primal sounding, whereas what I do is more sort of like refined art music type stuff. But I think when we start melding those two together more, it's going to take on a whole new thing that's going to be really awesome. Yeah, agreed. Cool. Do you have some tips on throat singing, Matt? 
Yeah, uh, I mean, when uh, you know, I've had friends ask me about it. Now, first of all, I should clarify: like the throat singing that I'm talking about is like what you hear in Tibetan chanting, where it's an octave lower than a normal singing voice. The woman that taught me how to do it, she's much better at it than I am. But what she told me was, uh, "Do you know uh, Krusty the Clown from The Simpsons? You know that yeah. sound <laughs> that he makes? It goes uh, you know, yeah. all the time. It's an amazing sound." Well, that sort of growl sound, if you can um, kind of hit it, you know, just like, uh, and then you just sort of, uh, the way I imagine it is like you just like push it down. So really it starts with a growl and then you like, you start to figure out where that little pocket is, where the growl can live. And then suddenly like you have like a kind of sound. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah, and then you start to play around with the harmonics and that's where you start to get the overtones. So, and then you like um etc. That's awesome. When it's run through pedals, it's like the greatest thing you ever heard. Oh my god. And then you like add in an octave below that. It sounds insane. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. It's it's good. Yeah. I- I've um I've dabbled in throat singing a little bit. Oh yeah? Yeah. I actually did put out a song. It was like a bluesy song. And I, I tried that effect of getting the octave lower. Then when the reaper comes to reap, he'll strike a deal for me. I'll trade any day for just one more. But yeah, it's hard because like I couldn't get any volume out of it. Yeah. So I, I had to be like right up next to the mic. No, I haven't heard to, it, but my guess would be that what you were actually doing was a fry because that's what I was doing for like oh, a year. And that's okay, like, maybe. you know, you're playing around with this sound and uh, yeah. you, know, you can kind of get it like, yeah, but that's actually totally different than the oh. than the other. That's like, it's really, again, it starts with that growl. You're using a totally different part of your physiology. As soon as Helen told me to like stop you to stop doing a fry and and go back to the growl, like I figured it out in a week, you know, after a year of messing around with it the wrong way. What made you want to start getting into that in the first place? I, I you know I had this other musical project where I was really seeing what I could accomplish with just the voice and cutting it up. Like I made songs that similar to Brian, it's like I I would just record a small snippet of myself singing and then I would cut up like every syllable of a sentence and then put those syllables into a different order and like new words would emerge. When you're putting your voice through digital effects, you start to realize that you can get some really unique sounds that don't really resemble a human voice anymore because you're activating some unusual aspect of your voice and then you add like some digital process to it. I mean, basically, I love the idea of the voice as an expressive tool to control something else. In fact, a lot of my work, you know, in addition to making music, I do sound design for theater and develop technology for the use of that and namely i'm interested in things like voice analysis getting the actors to be able to control sound with their voices so i think a lot of the stuff that i've been developing in that world would have like huge application in music especially for us cool yeah i would be curious to hear how that goes 
So you would have the actors, once they say a certain line, it would just trigger the sound effect or something like that. You know, it's not so much like triggering. Like triggering makes me think of like, it's either it's on or it's off, you know? It's more like using the voice to control the whole shape or the timbre of sound, like as the voice is being spoken. So like, for instance, the only time you hear a sound effect, like, I don't know, crickets, is when the actor is talking. So it's almost like, the actor is making the crickets happen with their voice. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's a cool idea. Yeah, it opens up a lot of possibility. And I just think for a lot of people, the voice is just this immediately available means of expression, you know? So if yeah. you can control music or sound with your voice, it's like it opens up the opportunity for a lot of people that may not consider themselves musicians. Do you guys have any composition tips for our listeners? Yeah, I mean, I think just in general, understanding the history of what style of music you want to make is really important. I think what really inspired me initially with electronic music was taking a history of electronic music class and realizing that people were doing really cool things in the past with way less means than what we have today. Like learning about Pierre Schaefer and how he was manipulating tape machines, I was like, wow, like I'd really like to start recording my own sounds and messing with them. So I think understanding the lineage of the type of music you want to work within is important. And also just trying to find your own voice and really getting your own sounds and not settling for what's readily available through free sample packs online, you know, even though I'm putting those out there for people. I mean, I guess like when you buy a program, they give you like a million sounds to use, not just necessarily using what they give you, but Really trying to, you know, find your own sounds and, and have your own voice. I try to work with a lot of restraint, which is another thing that I would recommend for people who are just like getting into electronic music is that the world is so vast with VST plugins and different synthesizers and things that are very cheap and very well made. You know, it's a great time to be getting into this type of music, but I think acting with some restraint where it's like, okay, I'm going to use this one synthesizer and this microphone and see what I can make out of it. I think you get almost more interesting results than just sitting there like flipping through presets and messing around with a bunch of like pre-made sounds that other people have done. It's just, you can tell when people are doing that, I think. When people have a unique voice, it's it comes through. There's no easy road to making cool stuff. I think it, you know, it takes time and what you think was awesome a year ago, you might look back at and be like, wow, I, if I was doing this again, I would do it completely differently. What um, kind of things are you going to be doing differently in your next project? Um, I mean, I think it's funny. I mean, the next EP is actually already, a lot of it's already written. It's just going to be a different set of sounds that we're going to be using. This one definitely has a little more of like a late night, dark dance floor vibe to it. Well, that's probably about what I had to ask you guys. Yeah, it was really cool getting a chance to talk to you. Yeah, thanks, Charlie. We appreciate it. Yeah. Appreciate you having us on and letting us talk a little bit about what we do. Yeah, definitely. Looking forward to hearing more of your stuff. Yeah, we're just going to keep putting stuff out. So if people 
want to check it out, we're called Prism House. We have Facebook and, and all that stuff. So if you search us online, you can find it. We have a lot of stuff out there and videos on YouTube. In um, Vimeo. In Vimeo, yeah. That's yeah. where Matt does a lot of his like video experiments and, and interesting stuff. Some of the theater stuff he touched on, he does a demonstration of that on his Vimeo. So Yeah, well, cool. Thanks, guys. All right, thanks, yeah. Matt. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Composer Quest with Brian Wenner and Matt O'Hare of Prism House. For more of their music, you can visit enterprismhouse.com. If you enjoyed this episode, say hi at facebook.com slash composerquest or twitter.com slash composerquest. And if you've been enjoying the series, I would really appreciate a little review on iTunes. Thanks. Now, I'll leave you with a sample of a B-side from Prism House's release, Reflections. And this is called The Classical Age. Just